before I get started with the, with the word today, I want to thank all of you for, for praying for us and blessing us as we, sent, as we were sent out from our church to go to Navotis to the Philippines. Uh, Bren, myself, and Jake went on a little trip, and it was great to meet people, the church that we partner with, uh, the kids that we support through our scholarship programs, uh, families that benefit from our, the microloan program. So it was a blessing to see all of this come to, to life the way it is, and I was glad to be a part of it. My first trip, it was good to be a part of that. So you'll hear more of a, a more formal, a better uh, articulated report from Bren and Jake very soon, so um, keep your ears open for that. All right, so before I get started with the word, I, I want to ask you a, a question. How many of you watch movies? Movie fans? That's good. I don't read the book. I watch the movie. It's more fun that way. I've not met anyone who reads the book and says the movie was great. So I just watched the movie directly. <laughs> okay, it makes more sense to me. Uh, how many of you watch uh, action movies? Action movie fans? Okay, good. Now, in every, almost every action movie, you'll find this, this, this scene. Okay, most of the good ones, at least. You'll see a scene where the bad guy and the good guy are on a standoff, this, this major fight scene, right? The, maybe the last epic fight, the fight scene. And all of a sudden, you'll notice that maybe the bad guy now has an advantage, he now has maybe someone that this good guy loves the most, right? And holding hostage. Maybe it's something, something that he loves the most. And all of a sudden, the, the fight scene now focuses on what choice does this hero make in this movie. And time stands still, right? Because you want to know, what is he going to do? Is he going to compromise on the mission that he was sent? Compromise on everything that he was fighting for all along for the last hour and a half in the movie? And is he going to fulfill his mission or is he going to compromise? Is he going to stop fighting, give up, and rescue the person that he loves, right? The truth is that in our Christian walk, we face that conflict over and over again every day. Um, some call it the double bind because you, you're stuck in this predicament where you have to decide, do I look cool with my friends in the break room when they're joking about stuff they shouldn't be talking about and I'm laughing with them? Or do I stand firm for my faith and lose that friendship? Or maybe it's a business deal that you know is not right. You know there's something not right here. It's unethical. It's against what you believe. But you want that extra money or you want to make that employer or this business partner happy but you have to compromise on your values maybe it's the way you treat people around you we constantly have this 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 struggle and i i want us to think about this because we're going to focus a lot on what are the things that you will compromise your faith for the sake of the gospel that's kind of what we're talking about today. So if you were in that scene, what would be that thing that you will give up your faith to rescue? Okay, think about that. Um, today's topic is, I, I think this is a very fitting topic today. It's the promise of persecution. The promise of persecution. Because time and time and again, you see that persecution is a real thing. That even though we live in a place in this beautiful country where we have a lot of freedom, we have a lot of rights that we, we talk about, but persecution is still prevalent even among us. All of you might know this, right? 
you and I know that in, in the way life is becoming more and more, the way things are changing, there is persecution that's happening. Maybe not the same way as how it would look like in another country where it's very, very severe, but it's a real thing. And today I want to talk more about how do we live in this, in this time, in this age, in dealing with persecution. Okay. And if you're wondering why, why is it a promise, persecution is a promise. We will be persecuted. In 2 Timothy 3.12, before I go there, does anyone need a Bible by any chance? If you do, raise your hand, and one of our shows will bring a, a Bible to you. If you have a cell phone and iPad, please feel free to use that. I wouldn't judge you. I wouldn't think you're texting or on Facebook. I, I believe that you are in your Bible app. So 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. John 15 verse 8, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Persecution is going to happen. It will never stop happening. It has never stopped since, since church history. And before I, I read today's passage, I want to read this with, with, with you following me. I want to share some background story about what is going on in this time and age who are reading this letter right now. So we, we kind of place the timeline of this, of this episode approximately 63 to 65 AD, give or take a few months here and there. We, that's kind of where it falls in history, okay? 63 to 65 AD, approximately. And you and I know, you may already know this, that in AD 64, something very, very big happens, right? It's the fire, the great fire in Rome. Do you guys know about that story? Um, Nero was behind that, and since once that happens, everything changes. The way Christians are being persecuted changes. Un until now, it's been mostly by the Jews. Jews are the ones who are persecuting Christians, not the Romans. The Romans don't like the Christians, but it hasn't been very, very visible yet. And just so you know, persecution hasn't been easy yet. They, they, they have been going through a lot. They, they, they have been uh, this, the stoning of Stephen, right? You see that happen by the Jews. There's, there's killing happening, there's people, people's property getting stolen, getting destroyed, people being thrown in prison. All these things are already happening, and very soon, this is going to change drastically. It's going to get a lot more harder for these people. And we have this advantage of seeing the timeline of, of history, where we see what's coming down the pipeline in the next few years, but they don't. So we, we look at the Great Fire in, in 8064, and if you look further, about five more years or so, in 8070, there's this major revolt by the Jews against the Romans. It's called the First Jewish War. And according to Josephus, about 1.1 million people who were non-combatants died, civilians died in Jerusalem about 100,000 people in Galilee. This is about five years from when this letter is being read. About 97,000 people were enslaved. And the worst thing is that Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem is totally destroyed. And not to mention that Paul and Peter also die 
sometime between when the fire takes place and before this happens in the timeline. A lot of things are going to change for these people. And keep in mind also that most of these people here are about 30 years after Jesus died. So maybe most of them over here were not saved and maybe did not see Jesus face to face. Maybe they were saved through the disciples, the apostles. They haven't seen Jesus face to face. They've heard a lot about this from firsthand accounts. And now the pillars of their church are going to be dead very soon. And this, this letter comes at this time, right before all these things happen. And church history shows that persecution only gets worse since then, right? It doesn't stop. And this letter is written to encourage the believers to continue standing firm, to continue to be firm in their faith. And I'm going to read this to you now. Um, and if you can follow with me on your phone or your iPad, that's great. From verse 32 onwards, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped those who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned, all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confidence that you have in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Amen. My, my desire this morning is, is to to give you a perspective of how we, are, we ought to live in this reality of persecution in our lives. I know it's not that great. It's not as bad as how it looks like in other places, but it does exist. How do we live in this season? And the second part of that is how do we respond to those that we know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are being persecuted around the world? What, is, what do we do? How do we respond to that? And I think living in the U.S., I've realized how much, um, how easy it's been for me uh, to not worry about being beaten up, not worry about being thrown in jail for being a Christian. And I think it's so easy for us to become very complacent, to, to sit on this side of the pond and say, well, thank God it's not me. I'm so glad it's not my family. Or even worse, to live in denial that it's happening. Because we so don't want to even think about that. Because it's, it's, it's painful. It's, we don't want to think about that stuff. Let's focus on what's going well for us and, and be happy, right? And I think so often we, we fall in those two categories. We either say, thank God it's not me, or we live in total denial of that even happening around us. So I have these very, very simple three points for you this morning. And I hope that this will encourage you to continue to stay firm in Christ. The first one is remain faithful. Remain faithful. If you want to stand strong in spite of persecution around you, 
We have to remain faithful to Christ. Remaining faithful does not mean doing the right things. You can do everything right. You might be a volunteer who is here every Sunday. You might be, doing a, be reading a Bible every day, doing everything right. Being faithful is living with conviction, not living with correctness. Is, is your walk with God out of conviction or is it out of compulsion that you have to do these things? You have to go to church. Something we do in our family, we've got to go to church, right? You've got to read your Bible, like brushing your teeth, we've got to do it. Or is it out of conviction that you really want to do it? Because, trust me, if, it, if everything you do for Christ is out of compulsion and just a habitual thing, when persecution gets really hard, those things will not stand a chance. It will not stand, you will not stand a chance. But if it's out of conviction, no matter what is at stake, you will not waver. I like how Romans 12 verse 12 says, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And Brent shared this last two Sundays ago in Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The beauty of this is that if we are faithful to God, God is even more faithful towards us. He is even more faithful. He wouldn't let you down. You know, my, my mom showed this to me this week on, on Facebook. I couldn't watch it on Facebook. I, I, don't, I could not take it. Um, this happened in Bangalore, in my hometown where I grew up. In a church like this, not in a, not in a house. This was in a church, but over 100 people in this church. This guy walked in, some Hindu activist walks in during service, grabs the microphone, and hits the preacher on the head with the microphone. I'm not sure what the damage was, but he was bleeding profusely. And this is what blew my mind away. The church did not flee. The people who were there didn't fight back, did not hurt the guy who did this. They rushed to the pastor and stood by him when this happened. This happened this week, less than a week ago. They stood by the pastor and they took care of his wounds. If that happened here this morning, what would happen? What would you be? What would you do if it happened right here? What would your knee-jerk reaction be when there's persecution? Be faithful. Be faithful. The second thing I want to talk about is remain in fellowship. Remain in fellowship. In verse 33 and 34 of this passage, it talks about sometimes you help those who are suffering the same things. Verse 34, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. How do you suffer along with someone who's in jail? Think about that. Do we even know what that means? Do we understand what it is to visit someone who's in jail? Who, do we even think about people who are in jail who are for, for Christ? We don't even know who these people are. We are so aloof from these these painful realities of Christian suffering that happens to our brothers and sisters. What was happening here is that when someone's thrown in jail, so let's say your brother in Christ was thrown in jail, these people will go and, and visit them and take care of their needs while their property was getting, ram was getting robbed and destroyed over here. That's the way they were committed to fellowship. It didn't matter how hard it was for them to meet, they still met 
and worship God together. And I think so often we, we have a lot of reasons to not be in fellowship. We have our own little reasons. We, we are too busy, right? We have maybe two jobs. Our kids are plugged into all these different extracurricular activities. We are really busy. Or maybe it's our pride. Maybe we feel like our theology is right. What I believe is solid. I don't want you to question what I believe. And I know in this group, they'll challenge me. I don't want to go there with a discussion. Maybe it's the way we parent. Maybe the way I parent my children is, is the best way I think it should be done. That if you challenge me about that, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to like that. So it's a lot of pride, I think, so often that we don't want to actually be in fellowship. But we, we go to a group where we just sit back and chill. We say the right things. We have a good filter. We have a good buffer that we, we, are, we are there. We checklist, right? It's done. But there's no real relationship happening there. Here are some verses for you to, to think about as to what this fellowship should look like. In First Peter 4, verse 9, it says, it's talk, talking about being hospitable to one another, taking care of each other. James 5, verse 16, talks about confessing your sins to one another, being real, sharing your darkest secrets, your hurt to one another, being, praying, praying for one another. Romans 12, verse 13, taking care of others' needs around you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encouraging one another. Are we doing that? Are we taking care of one another in our church, in your group? Or is it my stuff and your stuff and that's the way we work? Um, godly fellowship pushes the selfish outside, out of the self and lets Christ in. If you're selfish, when you're plugged into a group, it'll, it'll be revealed. And you either let God work or you leave and find another group. Godly fellowship pushes you towards purity. If you're living in sin, if you're struggling with sin, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. That's what the Bible says. You cannot fight sin on your own. You cannot fight addiction on your own. You need people around you. I think so often Christians, we, we look as if we are beat up. We are, we are depressed. We carry this load of weight on our shoulders all the time, and we don't talk about it. Between me and God, you know, we got it figured out. I'm working on it. We don't let people in. But the more and more you are humble and let people in and you share what's going on, you'll find healing. You'll find healing. I remember when I was young, about maybe Karis's age, seven, eight years old, and we were sitting in our living, ro- in our living room, which was only, a house only had two rooms, so it was our everything room, I guess. Not the bathroom, the room, main room. And uh, we were having our Bible study that evening, and my, and this, my mom was there too. This, this drunk guy walks in with a big knife in his hand, um, with profanity, screaming and telling that he's going to kill everyone in this room. And my dad is a martial art instructor. Half the guys in the room were his students. And we, the funny thing is they didn't fight back. No one, no one fought back. He didn't kill, just so you know, we, everything was fine. But I was, I was frozen in fear. I was frozen in fear to realize that this was the, the way we had to meet as, as, as a fellowship outside. You know, no matter with church or not, it, it, there was always a risk of something happening. And praise God, the guy that walked in that day is now a preacher. He got saved, <laughs> right? So God, God is amazing. But, but that's the reality of how, of how we, we have to be thankful that we can do this, that we can do church like this and not worry about that. 
When I went to India last time, we were in another believer's house having a Bible study, and then a cop showed up because you're not supposed to meet meet in places that are not certified for, for worship, for any kind of religious gathering. And, and thank God it was a birthday party because we had a cake. And he's like, what are you guys doing? I said, well, we're just having a, a birthday party. Do you want to join us, have a piece of cake? And, you know, the thing is, that's, that's how, what, what I'm used to seeing when it, comes to, when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to meeting and gathering together. And when I see Christians who don't realize that, and we, we take it for granted so much, we do. I, I pray that you will have a conviction to live for Christ that is daring, that you will commit to being in fellowship. We don't have all those fears. And how much more we should be committed to fellowship? How much more? We should be intentional in these relationships that God has placed in our lives. The next one is remain fixated. Remain fixated. In verse 35 it says, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Our eyes should be fixed on God, on the reward that he, that he has promised for us. The sad truth is, I think we have a lot of things that we fix our eyes on. We have a lot of distractions. We call them hobbies. We call them work. Maybe you are constantly trying to get the next best job, the, maybe the, a better pay grade, right? Move that ladder. Maybe it's your edu- edu- education that you're obsessed about. You want to finish your school so you can get a good job. Maybe it's ministry that you're so focused on that you have missed the whole point. What, what are you obsessed about today? Maybe it's your health. You're so worried about your health. Maybe it's your fitness. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe hunting. It's so easy to get stuck in a rut to constantly work towards this one thing that I want to do. You know, I, I'm sure you've been asked this question. Maybe you've thought about this too. Like, who would, you, would you die for Christ, right? Would you die for Christ? What I want to ask you today is, would you, would you live for Christ? If you say yes, I want, to, I want to challenge you on that because I think the way we live as Christians so often looks as if we live for every other thing but Christ. We live for all these other things. We want to get a little more comfortable. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong in working hard. Nothing wrong in going to school. But if our, if our desire, our ambition in life is just to, make, to be a little more comfortable and Christ is there as an option that we go to once in a while, like a vending machine, we've lost the plot. And don't even think about what you, if you'll die for Christ because if you cannot live for Christ every day, that's out of the question even. You will not die for Christ if you're not living for him every day. Philippians 3 verse 14 says, I press on towards the goal. There's only one goal. There's, there, that's it. That's Christ for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is your obsession today? What do you love the most? Really, what do you love the most? Think about that image of the, the good guy and the bad guy, right? The movie scene. And think about all the things that you could compromise and give up your faith for. 
You know, maybe you think it's your wife and kids and spouse, and, but it may be your hobby. It may be, maybe dumb things that really don't matter. We hold at high esteem things that are really irrelevant to the gospel. Here are some facts about persecution. Ready for this? Around 100,000 Christians have been killed in the last decade. Okay? That's about 11 people every hour. There have been 70 million martyrs since the time of Christ. 45 million in the last 20th century. In other words, more Christians have died for their faith in the last century than the previous 19th centuries combined. 215 million Christians experience high levels of persecution in the world. That's about one in every 12 Christian. Approximately every month, over 250 Christians are killed. 104 are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually assaulted, and forced into marriage. Over 60 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained with a trial and imprisoned. And the truth, the truth is these numbers are still not right because a lot of persecution that happens doesn't get reported. I know even in India, I've seen a lot of things happen that no one will talk about. The media is controlled by the government. No one will talk about it. There's no way for them to, to cry, to, have, to make their voice be heard. These numbers are very, very small compared to what really is happening around the world in terms of persecution. And I, I don't want you to feel sorry for them. That's not the point. The point is that we are, we are the same family. These people who are getting killed, who are getting persecuted, we are brothers and sisters in Christ with them. And so often we look at them and say, thank God it's not me. Thank God I'm not the one facing those, those, those hardships. There was a man named Graham Staines who came to India from Australia in the mid-90s, I think early, early 90s, and he and his wife, Gladys, and three children, Esther, Philip, and Timothy. Um, Esther was, in a, was a teenager, and Philip and Timothy were six and ten years old. They served in a remote village in India, in the north part of India, doing Bible translation. They learned the language of that local tribe and also were working among, among lepers in that area. Timothy and Philip <clears throat> came from boarding school to spend time with their dad, on their holiday, and mom and daughter had gone elsewhere to visit some family and friends. One night when they were sleeping in their, in their, in their, in their truck that night, about 50 people gathered around their vehicle and lit it on fire. And Graham Staines and, his, and both the sons were, were, were killed that night. This was in January of 1999 when this happened. After two days, 18 people were arrested for what happened. It became national news because it was a foreigner, right? And Gladys made an open statement that she forgave all those who were involved in this crime. Gladys continued, until today, continues to preach and travel and talk about forgiveness. I had the joy of meeting Esther, the teenage daughter who survived, who was not there at the time. And I, I cannot imagine what would it look like as a parent to experience that. I can't even imagine that. Holly and I have had this talk before about serving Christ. And we, we talk about serving Christ, being on staff or whatever. Right? We've, we've had this talk before, but how, 
right now in this season, God has been gracious to us first to live in Boise, to be at Revolution 22, where we are safe, right? We have food to eat, a house to live in. But serving Christ might mean that he might send us to a place where we don't really want to go. It could be any of you over here. And if that's the case, will you go? Will we go? If it means to go to a place where my wife may, may get hurt, my children may die, if, if that's the case, will we still say yes? Or will we only say yes if it's, if it's going to be in the U.S.? What does truly following Christ mean? And we've, ha- we've literally sat at Cheesecake Factory and bald eyes are thinking about that reality. That serving Christ, following Christ means putting everything on the altar. Everything on the altar. And following him no matter what. There was a, a family in the northeast part of India, in the, like in the 50s, who were saved by the Baptist Mission Society who came to Sikkim, this little village in India. He and his family got saved, two kids, wife and a husband. And the village chief did not like that. They pulled him aside, and they wanted him to renounce his faith. And this man saw his kids first, and then his wife killed right in front of him. And they finally killed him. And his last words are the lyrics of the song we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Those were his last words. No turning back. No turning back. Do you have everything laid on the altar for Christ? Or is Jesus just a means to an end? Because you want blessings, right? We all want good health, good strength. Is that the way we see Jesus? That we use him as a means to an end? Or are we really, really following him no matter what the cost is? In verse 38 and 39, I'm going to read this. It says, And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away or shrinks back. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Do we shrink back? Do we pull back when it gets hard? The good news is we don't have severe consequences. If you feel prompted to share the gospel to someone down the street, you're not going to get killed for that. But how often do we shrink back? When we feel like, oh, I should share the gospel. I should talk about my faith to this nurse who's taking care of me. Right? We don't, to a coworker. We, we are so afraid of being Christians. We're so afraid. Even when it costs us nothing in reality. You know, next, next Sunday, we, we begin this new chapter in Hebrews where we, we proudly call the, the, the hall of faith. Right? All these stories of people who did amazing things for God. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Joseph. All these stories. I wonder if, if a book was written about our lives. By faith, Jonathan did this. By faith, you did this. You sacrificed your job. You sacrificed all your wealth to help someone. You sacrificed your comfort to go to a country where you were not welcomed. And you preached the gospel. Well, is that what it'll look like? Or will it say, by fear, I stayed back? By fear, I just did not want to share my faith. By fear, I compromised it in every level because I was afraid of being a Christian. 
what would that look like? What would that tell, what would that story look like if you were in that place? You know, this morning, I, I don't know what God is stirring in your heart. I don't know, but I want you to listen and respond. Don't let your hearts be hardened. You know, Brennan and I talk about this. We talk about what would it look like in the next 10 years or so? I don't know how long. What if, what if this became illegal, that we could not meet in this fashion? What would the church look like? Will we be committed to being faithful? Will we be committed to fellowship? Will Jesus be our obsession? Will, he, will we be fixated on Jesus? If we have to meet in hiding underground, I really wonder if we'll all be there. If each and every one of you, I wish, I pray that you'll all be there. Will you risk everything for the sake of the gospel? And maybe it means that you respond. You respond to God and say, God, I feel that you want me to go to a country where I am not welcome. Your, your word is not welcome. I've got to go there. And I'm, may, I may have to suffer. And I'm okay with that. I'll risk everything for the sake of the gospel. Maybe God is challenging you to start living that way now in our church where you are committed to fellowship, where you're committed to being authentic, where your walk with God is genuine. It's out of conviction. I don't know what God is telling you, but I want you to respond. Maybe you haven't heard the gospel before, and this is all new to you. I'm sorry that this is all bad news if you are new to the gospel. Okay? But the truth is we have Christ, and with Christ, everything, Nothing compares to what we have in Jesus. Amen? The sum of everything you love does not amount to what he has to offer you. The sum of everything you love dearly does not come, even come close to what he has for you. So this morning, I want you to take a minute to close your eyes and, and listen to what God is, t- is telling you, is prompting you. And the band, you may come forward. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is teaching you this morning. Do not be callous to what, what God wants you to do. If he is prompting you, if he's urging you to step out of faith, step out of your comfort and follow Christ, I pray that you will, you will do that. If he is convicting you of of you holding everything but Christ dear to your heart this morning. I pray that you will repent for that. God, I pray that you will work in our hearts. May we be the church that you desire us to be. God, I pray that you will raise people from our church who would stand up and go to places where, where no one in their right mind will want to go and preach the gospel. I pray, God, that we will not be safe, that we will not be cowards, that we will not shrink back. God, help us to love you truly and live a life of conviction. In your precious name we pray. Amen.